welcome to the Vineyard Cincinnati podcast. We hope you enjoy this message from one of our weekend services. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast. Oh, holy night. The stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. A thrill of hope, the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. So fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. Maybe one of the most powerful and iconic and epic Christmas hymns of all time. A a hymn that inspires hope. It quickens in our hearts a longing for more. It reminds us of our need for being saved and reminds us of a Savior that saves us and breaks into our world and he beckons us to our knees in worship. Not because he needs our worship, but it's in our worship of him that we find worth and we experience a thrill of hope. Hope. One of the most powerful words in the human language, one of the most craved things in the human experience. It's not just an idea. It's not just a feeling. Hope, I believe, is essential to truly living. I know it sounds like hyperbole. I've said it before, but human beings can live for 40 days without food, four days without water, four minutes without air. But I don't believe we can live four seconds without hope. And this Christmas hymn is calling to us. It's beckoning to us. It's saying that the truth of the Christmas story found in the person of Jesus, the incarnation of Jesus, is the beginning of the gospel that brings and inspires a true thrill of hope in our world. Not just mental hope, but visceral, physical, real, experienced hope. Question, is that true for you? In this Christmas season, in this world that feels Hopeless, as we lean into the story of the incarnation of Jesus, the perfect God-man who came to set us free from our sin, do you experience a thrill of hope? We need hope in our world today. We need to be people that receive the hope of Jesus and release the hope of Jesus to our world. We get to be a people, and that's why we're doing this series called Thrill of Hope. And each week, 
We're looking at one of the hymns of Christmas that are so familiar to us. Last week, Beth looked at a way in a manger. And this week, we're looking at O Holy Night and these familiar hymns that many of us just sing and we don't even hear the words we're singing. We're just thinking about eggnog when we get back to the house. And we want these familiar hymns to inspire a new thrill of hope as we hear the theology and the hope that is in them as we become people that receive the hope that is found in Jesus and release hope to the world. And the the hymn we're going to look at today, O Holy Night, is one of the most powerful hymns in the world. I think it's my, my favorite one, and it's got a fascinating backstory. It's loaded with theology. But what you need to know is this song was almost never heard by us. It was the fall of 1843. Political unrest was ruling the day in France. They had revolution after revolution, and a Catholic priest in a small town in France wanted to bring hope to his people that were hopeless. So he went to his friend, Placid Capot, and said, hey, Cappy, would you write me a poem, a Christmas Eve poem that'll inspire hope in our people? But here's the problem. Capot was barely a churchgoer. He might have been one of the original Cheesters or Creasters, just Christmas and Easter. He was known as an angry, alcoholic agnostic. But the priests loved him. They had a good friendship. He was a winemaker by trade. He drank way too much of his own wine. He got in regular fights and was missing his right hand due to getting it shot off in one of those discussions. Share that at a party someday, you'll win points. But poetry was his first love, and he was good at it. So he agreed to the ask of his priestly friend. And his his friend said, here's the deal. I know you, you may not believe this, but I want you to read the Gospel of Luke, from Dr. Luke, who followed Jesus and studied Jesus and and himself was an agnostic and became a believer, read the Gospel of Luke at least a dozen or more times and then write the poem as if it's true. So Capo did that. And one afternoon, while riding in his carriage, after having read the Gospel of Luke at least a dozen more times, with his missing hand, he held down the paper on a bumpy carriage and wrote the words to O Holy Night. When he got done, he said he was mesmerized by his words. He knew they were divine. He said it was the best poem he'd ever written. And he said, this can't stay a poem. It needs to be put to music. So he went to his friend, Adolphe Adam, who is a composer of music, and said, would you put my song, my poem to music. But here's the deal. Like Capot, Adam wasn't a follower of Jesus. He was, he was Jewish. He didn't believe in the Messiah yet. He was so waiting on the coming Messiah. But Capot said, read the words of my poem and read the Gospel of Luke at least a dozen of times and see if it doesn't awaken in you something and write music to this poem as if it's true. And Adam wrote what he called his finest piece of music ever. He said, if this is true, this story is true, it deserves a work of art 
befitting its truth. It was then performed that Christmas Eve of 1843, and the people loved it. It was played on guitar and not organ, which was different in that day. Capot was trying something different, and it spread like wildfire to the people. They called it the Thrill of Hope hymn. It awakened in them something about the Messiah who came to set people free. It gained such popularity that in 1847, it was performed before the king and queen of France. But then Capot decided he was a socialist. He denounced the church. He denounced the government. He said, I like your Christ. I hate your Christians. And because Adam was Jewish, the church denounced the song. And they said, we're going to act like that song never existed. And it went underground. It was maybe the first alternative music. They were, they were Nirvana before Nirvana. And it went underground. Maybe to be squashed and never heard again, even though the people still sang it. Well, then in 1855, like eight years later, American John Sullivan Dwight, who was a, a pastor and a music critic, was going through some songs. He, had, he just was researching songs and found this French song. And he translated it to English and he fell in love with the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy of this song. Orthodoxy meaning core beliefs, core theology, and orthopraxy, the practice of those beliefs. He was also an abolitionist. That means he was devoted to abolishing slavery. In 1855, the run-up to the war, the Civil War was thick. And the North and South were at odds as the South maintained slavery. And the North was starting to say, this is an abomination to God. And he knew verse 3 reflected a true heart of the gospel. As a pastor, he was tired of his people saying they believed one thing but living another way. And when he read verse 3, he was enraptured. Let me read you verse three. If you're like me, you kind of sing these songs and ignore them. Verse three, truly he taught us, Jesus, to love one another. His law is love and his gospel is peace. Chains shall he break for the slave is our brother. And in his name, all oppression shall cease. Can you believe how mundane and routine we sing that song? This is powerful theology. And the song spread like wildfire, a bunch, especially among the northern abolitionists. You can imagine the south hated it, but the slaves loved it. And there was hope in this thrill of hope song. It is said that it even had an impact on Abraham Lincoln. Well, then on Christmas Eve of 1906, long after these men had passed, 33-year-old Purdue University professor Reginald Pheasanton was a former chief chemist for Thomas Edison, who was the inventor. Reginald did the impossible. 
He spoke into a microphone over the airwaves, and for the first time in history, a human's voice was broadcast over transistor radios to all the world. Ships and outposts all over the world that were used to hearing a telegraph now heard a voice. And because he was a follower of Jesus, he wanted to use this new medium for the glory of God. So he read the Gospel of Luke, chapter 2, the story of Jesus' birth. Here's how he started. Imagine sitting in a ship or an outpost waiting for tick, 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 and you hear, and it came to pass in those days that there went out a decree from Caesar Augustus, and he goes on to tell the account of the birth of the Messiah. And after he read that, he picked up his violin and began to play and sing, O Holy Night, the first song ever played over the airwaves is this loaded theological song that inspires the thrill of hope found in Jesus. So let's unpack the orthodoxy and the orthopraxy, the core beliefs and core praxis of this beautiful hymn. First verse, O holy night, the stars are brightly shining. It is the night of our dear Savior's birth. Powerful words that we just kind of, but it's beautiful. Jesus come to earth, and it seemingly seems trite and a quick overview of the birth of the Messiah. He doesn't go into the guts and gore of the birth, but he's like Luke, Dr. Luke, who himself was an agnostic, a skeptic, and studied the life of Jesus and became a follower. He saw the risen king. And he as well, in the book of Luke, kind of quickly goes over the birth of Jesus, doesn't dwell on it, because he, what he wants to cut to the chase on is the theology of why Jesus came. Verse 2, long lay the world in sin and error pining till he appears and the soul felt its worth. Now, I need to confess to you, I have sung this song my entire life and never paid attention to that verse. Because here's the deal. I'm a music guy. I love singing, but I don't pay attention to words. I just don't. I don't. I mean, I've been married to Kim 26 years. Early on in marriage, for example, we were riding in the car someplace, and Kenny Rogers' song, Lucille, you picked a fine time to leave me, Lucille. And I'm singing along, 400 children and a crop in the field. My wife's like, 400 children? That's four hungry children, not 400 children. I'm like, oh, that makes more sense. Like, that's, that's me. I just don't pay attention to words. I'm pretty clueless. So I'm not the sharpest knife in the drawer when it comes to music. But as I studied this song for the first time, I'm like, oh, my goodness. Long lay the world in sin and error pining. We as a people without God are sitting in our sin, sitting in our shame. We're dead to sin. There's no way we can save ourselves. And that word pining, sitting, that lays in air, sin and air and pining means we're waiting. It's a struggle. It's hard. We cannot save ourselves. The theology that, that Capoe is driving home is from Romans chapter 3. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. 
and Romans chapter six, and the wages of sin are death. There's no way we can save ourselves. No self-salvation, no self-sustenance, no self-righteousness can save ourselves. We're all broken. We've all fallen and we can't get up. But then, but then, Jesus comes, the God-man, the perfect God-man who comes humbly, not coming to destroy humankind, but to save humankind. And when he comes, when he appears, that's when the soul can feel its worth. It's only when Jesus appears to remove our sin can we now feel the worth that we're destined to feel because of who he is and who he says we are. That's hope. And only Jesus does that. John 1.14, the apostle John writes, and the word Jesus, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in him, we have seen the glory of God. John 3, for God so loved, so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall receive eternal life. Back to Romans 6, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. As Romans 10 says, a life that is abundant. This is not blasé. When we sing this, we cannot sing this like Eeyore. This is theology and hope. When we admit our need and surrender to Jesus, this this is where hope is found. We can't know hope until we admit our brokenness. This isn't about self-flagellation. It's about receiving the hope from the only one that can give us hope. And then 1 John 1.12 says, to all who receive him, all, any, all, he gave the right to become children of God. And anyone who's in Christ now is a new creation. The old is gone. The new has come. No matter what you did yesterday, you're new in Christ. There's now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. No condemnation for anyone who's in Christ Jesus. He loves us more today than he loves us yesterday. And when you're you're in Christ, you are now God's workmanship, created in him to do great works on this earth. That was a massive scripture mashup. And I got no amen from any of you. Come on. This is what we're singing when we sing this song. And the response to this good news, a thrill of hope. I used to mock this next part. I would sing it like Elmer Fudd. We, we, will, we, joy. He says, I'd make fun of it. Not even paying attention to the words. I confess. Why? For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Who I am now today because Jesus has redeemed me, has made me new and set me free. I now have a hope that awaits me in heaven. I have a a new inheritance. This hope is in real time, present time. And it's also in time to come. See, this is the hope that matters. Many of us put our hope in worldly hopes. Worldly hope's not bad, but worldly hope is temporary, right? I hope the Bengals win today against the Chiefs. Don't put your hope in that. <laughs> we hope. We hope it happens. But it's not guaranteed. I, I hope OSU makes the final four. Going into this weekend, I had low hopes. Now I've got a little higher hopes, but 
You can't put your hope. It just, it's fickle. It comes and goes. It's up and down. It's not guaranteed. But biblical hope, biblical Jesus hope is rooted in the person who's already done what he promised he would do. He lived, he died, and rose again. Our hope is not in something we're waiting for. We're not, we're not pining away for something. We've already received the someone who lived, died, and rose again. He called his shot, and he did what he said we'd do, and therefore, whatever he promises today and in the future will be done because he's a promise-keeping God. I'm preaching right now. The gospel of Jesus as Tim Keller says, is not good news. Oh, pardon me, is good news. It's not just good advice. The gospel of Jesus is the good news. It's not just good advice. Good advice is eat well so you have a healthy heart. Save some so you have retirement. That's good advice. But there's no guarantee in that. Good news is Jesus said, I've given you a new heart. Your heart is new. Even if you're unhealthy on this earth, you have a new body and your retirement is secure. You have a, no matter what your 401k does, I've got a 401k that can't even match that. It's so amazing. Yeah. You have a hope in heaven that is guaranteed because he lived, he died, and rose. Christmas is a reminder that the God man, God became flesh to dwell among us and set us free. And what's our response to that? Two responses fall on your knees. Oh, hear the angel voices. Oh, night divine. Oh, night when Christ was born. We don't worship the manger scene. We worship the God who was in the manger. Oh, night. Oh, holy night. Oh, night divine. That's our first response to this truth. And what's our second response? Verse 3. The verse that moved John Sullivan Dwight so much. This verse that moved an abolitionist to start a stronger movement. Tired of seeing people say they believed in God but not living it. He knew and understood that the gospel and understanding of the good news of Jesus demands a response. And what's the response? Truly, Jesus taught us to love one another. They will know we are Christians by our... They will know we are Christians by our... They know we are Christians by our, come on, say it like you mean it, right? Like, not by our politics, not by our, our theology. Theology's good. But if you have not love, you know not God. For God is love. He doesn't just do love, he is love. And his law is love. And his gospel is peace. This agnostic got the gospel that God's law is about love and, it, and his, his gospel is about peace, the shalom that breaks off the authority attached to chaos. And when we get it, chains shall he break. For the slave is our brother. Imagine singing that in 1855, 1856, pre-Civil War. The slave is my brother. Doesn't matter what color someone's skin is, we all stand equal before God. We're all one in Christ we all stand unified in Jesus. No one is better than another. And in his name, through us, all oppression shall cease. When, when we understand and receive the gospel of Jesus, when we receive the hope of Jesus and release the hope of Jesus, we cannot help but be people that love 
radically. We cannot, be pe- we cannot help but be people that live to break chains of oppression and stop inequality and stop any form of racism or any form of abuse. Or in- this, is our, this is our mandate to know Jesus, experience love of Jesus, and give that love away radically, not just in word, but in deed. That's why I love this church. Every dime you give to this church is seeking to break off the chains of oppression, to set people free from sin and set people free from the barriers that inhibit them from living out the gospel in this world. This healing center over here is one of the best in the world at that. And every dime you give to this place, I encourage you to get invested here because we are trying to break off the chains. We're trying to set people free to experience hope and release hope in this world because we live in a hopeless world. I, I, I can get hopeless so quickly. I'm riffing now. I'm not doing any notes. All the notes are gone. I mean, just, just 10 days ago, I got COVID again. How many of you guys have gotten COVID? Like, I'm so tired of COVID, right? Done with COVID. And I got COVID again. And, and within 24 hours, I'm like, I get hopeless. The world's going to end, right? Like, when you're sick, I'll never be well again. I'm going to cough the rest of my life, right? We get hopeless so easily because that's what her worldly hope is. It's so fickle and so up and down. I had the privilege to go, go uh, with some friends to Puerto Rico just the last three days to go with Raul. Raul, who was on staff with us, is now looking to do a potential ministry down there and and we, we're, we're trying to see if we can release him to bring hope to that world. I'm walking around in this area called La Perla, where there, there's, it's homeless people, and it's pretty hopeless. And I started quickly going to hopelessness, going, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. And my friend Eric Mowry, who's on staff with Back to Back, said, Matt, as Christ followers, we look for what's strong, not what's wrong. That'll preach. Parents, catch your kids doing stuff strong, not wrong. Spouses, Wherever we go, look for what's strong. And that's what we get to be as gospel bringers is look for what's strong, not what's wrong. And hope began to build as I started thinking about we've got the hope of the world. I don't know if we'll do anything down there or not. But we have the hope of the world in us, working through us, that sets us free to break off oppression, to bring equality at all. In Christ, there's neither Greek nor Jew, slave nor free. We're no longer slaves into sin. We're now free in Christ. We belong to Jesus. We've been invited by Jesus to invite others into the story of Jesus so that nobody, nobody on this earth goes to hell. What would happen if we received and released hope and believed the hope of the gospel? We'd worship Sweet hymns of joy, in grateful chorus raise we. Let all within us, not some, every aspect, every fiber of my being, let all within us praise his holy name because Christ is the Lord. He's the only Lord. He's the only one worthy of our worship. So praise his name forever. His power and glory evermore proclaim. His power and glory evermore proclaim. When we find hope in the one who is hope, we experience more hope. It begets more hope. It begets more hope. It begets more hope. And we become hope bringers to our world. That's why we're here. 
That's why we need to sing this song with power and passion and let all of us rise up in this Christmas season and in the Easter season and every season of our lives to remember we know the one who is hope and we get to receive his hope and release his hope to the world. Imagine what would happen if we lived like this, if we believed it. I want to invite my friend Parker Wilhelm up. He is, yeah, come on. I feel like I'm a Jimmy Fallon right now. That was great. There's a little. <laughs> and, and Parker's our worship pastor, one of our worship pastors, but he's especially worship pastor of our student ministries, amazing student ministry over there in the Healing Center as well. They're joining us here today, or the Student Center, I should say. And Parker told our staff a story a few weeks ago about how he wants to be a person that brings hope and just loves people where they're at. And he had a friend that shared with him some hard things and how he decided to bring love and hope to this person and just listen to how he, this didn't bring a glory to Parker, but how he lived a hopeful story. So go ahead, Parker. Yeah, Talk thank you. Um, yeah, this is a story about my best friend from high school. Uh, I'll call him Ben. But uh, Ben and I went to the same Christian high school together. And so our entire academia lives, we were studying the Bible. And so with that came a lot of conversations about theology, a lot of conversations about scripture, um, but it also came up with a lot of questions. Uh, my friend Ben is a super, super logical individual, and so he always has deep thoughts, and he uh, never puts stock into something unless he can fully comprehend it. And so naturally, the concept of faith was pretty hard for him. And so after high school, I went uh, overseas for missions for about a year, and I experienced God move in absolutely crazy, 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 crazy ways. And so when I came home, I went out with Ben, and I remember we're in this parking lot. I, uh, we were in our car. And I shared with him for like two hours, just everything that the Lord did, everything that I saw, everything that I was able to be a part of. And I, I didn't think I'd breathe for two hours. I was just ranting and ranting and ranting. And he was listening very intently. But at the end of it, he was, sat in an awkward silence for a little bit. And he's like, I hear you, Parker. I believe you. That's incredible. But I want to let you know that I'm not a part of Christianity anymore. I don't believe in Jesus anymore. And it just rocked my world. I was like, whoa. And he said, there are too many big questions that I cannot comprehend. And in this moment, there's like a five-second interlude where it was just silence. And all the thoughts that were overwhelming were, this is my chance to save him. Like, yes, this is my chance to evangelize. This is my time to get him back on course. And in that five seconds, uh, something my mentor used to say to me came in. Uh, he would always say, the best form of evangelism is loving like Jesus would. And back then, I was like, yeah, that's great. That's cliche. I get it. Cool. But in this moment, I was like, no, I finally understand what that means. So my response to Ben in the moment was awesome. I was like, that's great. I'm going to continue praying for you from a distance. I'm going to continue loving you, hanging out with you. I won't directly talk to you about Jesus unless you invite the conversation. And so for the next three and a half years, close to four years, that's what it was. We we're still best friends. We hung out all the time. I would talk about Jesus around him, but never directly to him. And so then a couple months ago, I went to go visit him at college, and we were hanging out for the weekend, and one night, we were walking back home, and he said, hey, I have some big life news for you. And I was like, great, this is awesome. You're going to tell me where you're going to school next or what you're ha what's happening after college? And we were walking, and he just started walking awkwardly, didn't know what to say, and he whispered, I love Jesus. 
And I, didn't, I was like, what? What did you say? And he waited a little more, and then he said, I love Jesus. And we stopped walking, and I was like, dude, do you know what you're saying? I was like, how did you get those questions answered? How did you get here? And he responded with this. He said, I never got those questions answered. Nobody answered them. The reason I came back to Christ is because of love. And I was like, all right, expand. What do you mean by that, bro? And he said, for the last three years, my family and my friends have loved me unconditionally. He said he's been trying to wrap his mind around it. And he said, how can my family love me after I dismiss a way of life that they raised me up by? He said, how can my friends continue to love me after I denounce a belief system that we've been sharing together for our entire lives? And he said, when he finally couldn't comprehend it, he said, it must be because what they believe in is real. Mm. The thing that they believe in is real. And so he said, that's why I love Jesus. Not because someone shared with him the right answers, but because people loved him unconditionally. And so what's, and it's in moments in the past couple months where I find myself to be hopeless or I'm comprehending those kind of things, and I look back at that story and I look back at other stories like that, where I can see the thrill of hope in play and in action. Amen. Thank you. What would happen if we live like we believe the hope of the gospel? What would happen to our worlds? What would happen to us if we believed the Son of God truly lived, died, rose again for us? That God sent his Son because he so loved you, me, my neighbor, my workmate, my friend at the health club, my friend on the bus, my friend at school, wherever I am, God so loved. And it's not my job to save someone. It is my job to receive the hope of Jesus and release it to a world crying out for hope. Who better than you or me to be a bringer of hope this world. That's what the Christmas season is all about. To know Jesus, to know his hope, to know his love, and show it radically, joyfully, abundantly. Would you stand? You know, I I ask you guys to do this a lot. It's nothing mystical. Nothing magical, but invite you maybe, if you want to, just close your eyes as we lead into this last song and hold your hands open in a posture that says, I receive. And if you're here today and you've never put your faith in Jesus and this message of Jesus, man, you're like, I want to know the love and hope of Jesus. Just say right now to yourself, Jesus, I understand I'm sinful and I'm broken and there's no way of hope on my own power. I believe, Jesus, you came, you lived and died and rose again to set me free from my sin. When I confess my mouth, confess with my mouth that you are Lord and believe you rose from the dead, I 
will be saved. Just pray that and invite now Holy Spirit to enter you, bringing hope and purpose and meaning, not perfection. And if you're here today and you've already prayed that prayer, you already believe, whether a day or 20 years or 50 years, and just say, Jesus, stir a renewed hope in me. Remind me of the hope I have in you. Help me to be one that receives your hope, is stirred by your hope, and releases your hope. So let's sing this Christmas worship song, O Holy Night. Sing it with power and gusto and meaning. Hear the meaning. And if we've mash it up with the song, He Loves Us. Because the most important thing about you is that you are loved by the God of the universe and loves you just as you are, receives you and loves you.
for you this Christmas season is that you would walk in the thrill of hope. The thrill of hope found in the person of Jesus who loves you more than you'll ever know. So if you're here today and you're longing for some hope, come get prayer. Come just receive hope in Jesus. If you're here and you feel hope but you want to be a releaser of hope, come get prayer. If you don't want to come get prayer, turn to the neighbors around you. Say, would you just pray together and ask that we be receivers and releasers of the hope of Jesus. We have friends on our team that get prophetic words and they've sent these words in and maybe this would instill some hope in you so that, that God's thinking about you. If one of these things on this slide is something you're going through physically, emotionally, or spiritually, look at that and say, wow, that's God thinking about me. Come get prayer. Bless you to go in the power and presence of Jesus all the days of this season, remembering who Jesus is, that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. Bless you. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. To subscribe to our podcast or listen to other messages, go to vineyardcincinnati.com slash podcast.